Hi, my name's Samuel Finlay, and you're listening to the Aces Podcast. In this episode, I have a conversation with Aces Associate Director and Professor at Deakin University, Maria Forsyth. We chat about her career in science, her work in collaborations, the Aces journey and its legacy, and much more. So, let's get to the podcast. So I'm chatting to ACES Associate Director and Professor at Deakin University, Professor Maria Forsyth. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for the invitation to have a conversation with you. No, it's a pleasure to have you on. And first of all, how are you holding up and how's life been through COVID? Uh, it's been different. Um, it's been pretty, um, it's a bit stressful working entirely from home. I like to work with people and um, having to really be isolated from the group. Um, and working entirely from Zoom has been challenging, let's say, but, but coping all right otherwise, getting on with work. So I guess going back to how you sort of began your career, why science? Interesting question. Um, I guess I was always really curious how do things work. I'm being a bit of a nerd, a bit of a geek. Um, <laughs> looking, up looking up at things like, you know, the electricity poles and thinking wires and thinking, hmm, how do the electrons go down those wires? Like really stupid things like that. Um, but I was always really interested just in, in, in um, how things worked. I think that's really what led me into that, that path of, um, of science at, at high school and then subsequently university. Yeah, so you did your uh, PhD at Monash, is that correct? I did, yes. Right, and where did you do undergraduate degree? That was also at Monash. Um, I had a bit of a different, different uh, start. I, I went to university to uh, undertake an engineering science double degree uh, at Monash Uni. And back then when I was looking at what universities to go to, Monash had that unique uh, opportunity to do that double degree where it was um, done like um, concomitantly at the same time. It wasn't like one degree than the other. And so I started off doing engineering subjects and science subjects. And I thought, oh, well, I'll do science because it's fun. And, and I was going to do pure mathematics of all things. And I'll do engineering because it'll get me a job. <laughs> um, and then, and that was going to be chemical engineering, actually. And then I think at the end of year one, I realized, actually, I don't want to be a chemical engineer, um, but I love materials engineering. And so I was doing material science at the time as part of the double degree. And at the end of my second year, I was offered uh, a research um, assistantship, I guess, from the chemistry, physical chemistry um, department at Monash um, with uh, now deceased Professor Ivan Wilson. And I just loved science. I thought, actually, I want to do research. I was this is in a second year. And so I had to then make a decision. Do I do my engineering degree and get a job as an engineer? Or do I consider maybe swapping into science? And I remember having you know, deep and meaningful with a lot of my lecturers and um, people in engineering and deciding, actually, I'm better off swapping into science. So then I finished my undergraduate degree in uh, straight chemistry. I did um, physical chemistry, a lot of physical chemistry, uh, materials chemistry. Um, and then from there into a honours and into a PhD. So what was your PhD project on? Again, very different to what I'm doing now. Um, <laughs> I, I guess, so again, going backwards a little bit, I, I, I always like to look at different problems. And I guess in honours, I took up the problem of um, back then we were looking at using fluoride glasses as optical fibres to replace silica. That's what people thought would be the, 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 the big um, inroads into optical fibre technology. Um, it turned out it wasn't. Silica is still what we use. But I, I think in that, in that project, I, I did a lot of materials, a lot of um, understanding around crystallisation, nucleation phenomena in glasses. And then in my 
PhD, I decided to take a completely different turn um, and go into that same phenomena, but in uh, aqueous systems, in, in, in water. And the reason for that was because at the time, the IVF program was um, very big. Alan Trounson's team at Monash uh, were working with my, my supervisor, who of course now is a, a long-term colleague, also at ACES, uh, Doug, Doug McFarlane. And um, we looked at how we can stop crystal ice crystals nucleating in, in aqueous solutions so we could stop um, cells from, from being destroyed, basically. So the IVF group were wanting to add things to, to water to stop ice forming. So my PhD was about it was cryobiology, um, crystallization and nucleation phenomena in, in, in aqueous solutions. Very different to what I'm doing now. <laughs> so after your PhD, did you jump straight into your research career or was there a gap? Um, I actually decided at that point I wanted to travel and I wanted to go overseas and do a postdoc and I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do beyond that. So I looked at a number of opportunities. I wrote a lot of letters to various people <laughs> all over the world um, and I wrote some to people who were in my field at the time, the, the cryobiology field uh, and NMR, which is the tool I was using to understand um, the, the systems I was looking at. And I also wrote to um, others who were doing completely different things, which was in the battery area, looking at uh, polymer electrolytes. And that was a group at Northwestern University. Um, and I guess I got into that because as, my, as a PhD student, I was also doing some consultancy on the side to earn some money. And back then, the solid state polymer electrolytes were becoming interesting to make solid state devices. That was like, this is like 30 odd years ago now. And I was doing some work for, for, for Doug at the time, looking at making these uh, solid state uh, electrolytic capacitors with polymer electrolytes, but I didn't understand how they worked. Um, again, nucleation, crystallization, molecular transport, all in these materials, didn't have the opportunity to understand that. So I thought, well, maybe I can go overseas and, and learn about it. And so I wrote this, uh, this email to uh, professors at Northwestern and got the position and spent two, nearly two years as a, as a postdoc. Um, in polymer electrolyte materials. And right. then, I, then I came home. <laughs> and then you were at Monash University again? No. Um, then I came back. I, I, at, the end of that, at the end of that period of time in America, I thought, I do not want to be an academic. This is, <laughs> this is just way too competitive, way too tough. Uh, not for me. So I remember being asked by my, my supervisor, my advisors at Northwestern, Du Shriver, well, why don't you stay here and try and get a job in university and I thought no nah, not for me thank you but no thank you so I came back home I was homesick as well we came back home um, and I worked for DSTO as it was known then or Defence Science and Technology Organisation um, in Maribyrnong which is now no longer in existence it's all in Fisherman's Bend um, and that was in a completely different area again I moved into conducting polymers uh, which is when I first came across Gordon Wallace actually um, so looking at uh, conducting polymer like polypyrrole and polyaniline uh, for use in uh, military type applications. Um, I didn't last there very long. I didn't, I didn't really fit into that culture so well, I think. And I decided actually maybe I want to be an academic after all. And then I moved <laughs> to Monash. <laughs> Great. So what were the type of things you were doing? Obviously you were at Monash for, for some time, but what were the type of things you were doing there and the focus of your, your research? Yeah, so I joined, even though I was a chemist, uh, well, officially a chemist, I joined the, my old materials engineering department where I should have got my engineering degree. So I was teaching engineers. Uh, and being in an engineering department, I had to, um, I felt that I had to guide my research a little bit towards more 
uh, applications and engineering type uh, problems as opposed to the more fundamental problems that maybe we were doing back then in, in the science faculty. Um, and so I started off actually continuing what I was doing in America, looking at polymer, solid state um, polymer electrolytes. And so I was looking, using NMR, um, working with, collaboratively with, um, with Doug at the time in chemistry as well, using NMR to uh, understand ion dynamics, ion motion, how to optimise conductivity in these polymer electrolytes for use in, in different devices, including lithium batteries. Um, but at the same time, because I was in, in engineering faculty, um, that wasn't engineering enough. So one of my colleagues uh, encouraged me to um, look at corrosion, so rust prevention. He said to me, I remember, never, never forget what he said to me, he said, I did my PhD looking at ions moving through, through polymers to stop electrochemistry, to stop corrosion. You're doing, looking at ions through polymers to enhance corrosions in a battery. <laughs> Same thing. So you can do corrosion research. So, <laughs> so that's how I got into the corrosion area. And um, I remember I had some great times actually climbing up towers to, to set up uh, various installations oh, of wow. um, cathodic protection um, systems and as a young, as a very young academic um, and learning to work with industry actually is probably that's where I first learned to work with industry because it was really hard to get funding for dirty research as it was called, corrosion research <laughs> sure. then. And so um, my research in that corrosion area was always funded by, by, uh, by industry, people who are looking at you know, fixing corroded concrete bridges or, um, or, or, or steel poles or electricity poles. So um, that's how I got into the, into the, uh, the corrosion-related uh, work. But at the same time, my fundamental, my heart was always in understanding how ions move through electrolyte materials for battery applications. So how did the eventual move to Deakin come about? Uh, yeah, I wasn't looking to move necessarily, but um, we had ACES uh, set up and running uh, at, at Monash. Um, uh, and I, I think that's right. I'm trying to think how that happened. So I was... I was in a mentoring program at Deakin where I was mentoring um, a younger academic who actually now is a DVCR at another university in Victoria. Um, and I met, I, I was exposed to the Deakin environment and they invited me to come and give a, a talk at the, um, at the Institute annual event in November. And then they invited me to come and have a look at, the, at what is now IFM, the Institute. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. Just the whole environment, the whole feel, um, of collaboration and, and, and it just it just seemed really positive vibe and so I remember coming back from that thinking maybe in five years time I might come go to them and say you know would you be interested in me moving to Deakin and about two weeks later I had a I had an email from um, the then director of the institute uh, Peter Hodgson and said uh, we hear you quite liked um liked our environment would, would you be interested in moving to Deakin oh wow um, and I thought oh okay I'm five years <laughs> Five years too early for me, having young kids, I don't want to go to Geelong. I, I said, I can't come to Geelong, I'm sorry. I said, if you had labs at, Bur at Burwood, that would be different. And lo and behold, they built labs at Burwood and the rest is history. So I'm there now. <laughs> so what are you currently working on? Obviously, you know, there's a lot of things that you're involved in, but, you know, your battery work and some really exciting collaborations. But I'm wondering what are some of the current projects that you're, you're working on right now? Okay, so um, in the battery area, I guess we've got a lot of um, uh, interest at the moment around lithium metal batteries. And so I'm really excited by actually translating that into, a, into a, maybe a spin-out. So we're talking about with some of the guys um, here at Deakin and, and others about looking at trying to actually create um, 
next generation, not lithium-ion batteries that we all know of, but lithium metal batteries, so much higher energy density. Um, we, we can make these devices that work at my, much higher temperatures. Um, so that's really exciting on one, on one hand. On the other hand, next generation technology around sodium batteries uh, is really exciting. And in that case, on the fundamental level, understanding how to control um, ion transport both in the bulk, but also through the interface and how to, how to control it such that you can get longer lasting batteries, um, you know, performing it at, at, at um, high temperatures and higher voltages. And so I'm, I'm really excited by the application side, but also by the, by the, by the understanding using molecular dynamic simulations and NMR to understand um, how you can control ion transport basically. Um, and that's on the battery side. And on the other side, which is related, um, I have a corrosion project with um, um, one of my younger colleagues, Anthony um, Summers here at Deakin, but also the microbiology group at Deakin and over in Curtin, looking at new um, organic salts or corrosion inhibitors that can stop both um, corrosion at an interface of, say, steel, but also stop um, microbial corrosion. So stop um, the, the formation of biofilms and, 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 and stop bugs basically or bacteria eating away at the steel which causes a huge problem when it comes to to, to industry and corrosion uh, related um issues so you've obviously had many great achievements throughout your career and you know have been awarded many things but i wonder if there's anything that really sticks out as something that you're most proud of throughout your career well i guess it, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the creation of the team that we have um, both at Deakin and across across the ACES and, and, and across international across the world actually. So for me, it's it's that it's about the people, uh, not just about the, a particular one particular thing that I've done that I've created that I've achieved. I think what I like most about my my work is interactions with people, which is why I find COVID so difficult. Um, yeah. And I think the, <laughs> I think the 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 team environment and, and, and creating the right culture, I, I'd say that's my best achievement. If I really look at what's important to me, um, getting that culture of, of educating the younger generation um, and, and I mean in a research context and getting the right culture of collaboration to solve any problem. And really, if you're working, working co collaboratively um, with the background, with the tools that we have at our disposal, we can solve pretty much you know, any problem in, in the material science space. Um, particularly, you know, in electrochemistry space, um, and I think that's my biggest achievement. It's the people that that um, that we have around us. Um, yeah, that's that will be my biggest achievement. Great, and you've been a pioneer, I guess, for women in STEM. I wonder if you have any advice for uh, women currently pursuing a career in science and research. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I seriously look. It is challenging. It, it's getting. It is challenging still for, for young women um, in, in, in academic career, uh, and actually even just in, in, in science, in STEM full stop, whether it's academia or in, um, in, in industry. Um, and part of that has been the lack of role models. I think people say that if you can see it can be done, you can do it. And if you, if you don't have those role models, it's just a little bit more challenging. Um, it's also the challenge of trying to balance, particularly the older generation, but probably still true, balance the the commitments of being, if you have children, being a mother, um, uh, you know, being, being, being a, um, doing your job and, and being a spouse, all those things. I know they're also there for young men. I, I accept that they're also there for young men, but 
but there's still something culturally that makes it a bit harder, I think, for young women who want to have um, a career, but also want to have a family. So that I think still is something which is needs to be addressed. And, 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 and I think across the world, people are looking at that with terms of funding and whatnot, but that I think is, is, is a challenge. Um, but you just have to, I think my advice is you just have to ask for help when you need help. Um, be, be confident, uh, you know, be, be assertive when you need to be assertive um, and, and, and believe in yourself uh, and just, just, just have a go. Yeah, great. And something I've asked everyone that I've had on the podcast so far is whether or not they have a morning routine or something that they do it doesn't necessarily have to be a morning routine, but just something that they do every day that it helps them approach a day of work. Exercise. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I, I, um, I typically, uh, it's been hard through COVID, but I typically would, would, uh, either go to the gym or go for a run or go for a walk or do some form of exercise and actually, in this period of COVID, I've also begun to do some meditation. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> some meditation, even just 10 minutes in the morning, just to set the scene, set my mind straight um, to help get through the day. Great. And I wonder, is looking back on the ACES journey thus far, and I guess the ACES legacy, I guess, how could you sum up the experience? Wow, it's been a long journey. Um, I think the original ACES was called ACNE back in 2001 or two, or I can't remember now, but it was, that was a Australian Centre for Nanostructured Electromaterials. Um, very poor choice of uh, <laughs> ACES is a much better name. Yep. Um, I guess the journey then, there was like a handful of us then, right? And that just goes back to building teams and building groups. There was a handful of people who had like-minded um, ideas and, and like similar culture and um, wanted to collaborate and solve real problems. And what's happened over the journey is that, has grow has been added to and grown, um, and we've just got this enormous uh, network now of, of alumni and and um, and colleagues that have really enriched all aspects of our science. For me, one of the most one of the things I can really point to is the is the involvement of the ethics group from the early stage with Sue Dodds when she was at UIW, and then the growth of that into the the other areas around ethics and the EPPE, as we call it now, or ethics policy and public engagement. Yeah. And for me, the, the learnings from that personally and how I address my, my science and my research and, and how that impacts on the choices we make for doing particular research, that has been really uh, a, a, big, a, a, a big thing I would not have happened, I think, without the ACES family. Um, and just yeah, just the people and the collaborations and the friendships that we've made along the way have been, have been uh, pretty amazing, actually. Well said. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me and taking the time to have a chat. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the ACES podcast. For more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can also find more information about ACES on our website electromaterials.edu.au There you'll find links to our various social media platforms and you can also follow me on Twitter at Samuel Finlay Until next time, thanks for listening